Welcome to my talk, the podcast series brought to you by ISS Market Intelligence. If you're interested in what's happening in the global retail financial services industry, you have come to the right place. Uh, count on my talk each month to keep you up to date with industry developments, hot topics, but also to help you peek under the hood of these headlines with the help of industry experts. If you enjoy this episode of my talk, Please subscribe to the MyTalk podcast on your preferred podcast platform for monthly episodes and actually more recently, um, more frequently than monthly, featuring talks with thought leaders in the world of asset and wealth management. My name is Goshka Folda. I'm your host and global head of research at ISS Market Intelligence. Once again, we have an exciting topic uh, on today's agenda and great guests um, with a, a global flair to explore it. Um, it is my pleasure to introduce my colleagues, Mark Humper and Ben Reed Hurwitz. Both Mark and Ben join us from our London office, where they work with our global distribution intelligence, um, also known um, as Matrix Solution uh, Unit. So before I uh, welcome both of them, um, uh, I want to give you just a short bio note and maybe a fun fact or two about those gentlemen so you can feel like you know uh, who you're listening to or kind of talking with. Uh, Mark Humper is head of client data strategy at MI Global Distribution Intelligence. Uh, he has had a storied career in the European Fund Administration. Um, uh, management distribution business spanning three decades. I'm glad, Mark, that I'm not the only one with a three-decade uh, scenario in this <laughs> in this uh, virtual room. He dipped his toe, the toes also into fintech um, and uh, has uh, consulted extensively on UK distribution intelligence uh, with various um, asset managers. Um, but he got into the fund industry. This is the fun fact. Um, uh, via being a chef in Luxembourg, uh, which is a story for maybe another their podcast. Uh, we're on a time a time schedule here. Um, but suffice it to say, when my uh, team was attending Funds Forum Europe conference last last uh, year, they reported hearing whispers in the room whenever Mark entered the room, Mark Humper is in the building kind of uh, story. So he's our resident data whisperer and our chief sleuth. And uh, welcome, Mark. Uh, ben is um, uh, uh, has started with ISS Market Intelligence about um, I would say three months ago, Ben, uh, but uh, he's our EMEA research leader. Um, uh, ben and I share our corporate lineage as we both uh, come uh, out of um, uh, into the ISS Market Intelligence Unit uh, via Investor Economics, which is our Canadian business. And um, uh, many of you know that uh, I am uh, our industry's passionate observer, but Ben easily rivals me in that regard. Um, and we also both share love of detective novels, notably those of Arthur Conan Doyle and his incomparable Sherlock Holmes, uh, but more on the reference to sleuthing later. So welcome, Ben. And today's hot topic is uh, also a hot acronym in the UK um, asset wealth management business, MPS. So let's start with you, Ben. Can you tell us, uh, can you shed some light what MPS is and uh, what's all the noise about? Sure. I mean, I, sh I should start by saying it is true. I, I love a good mystery, but uh, luckily the only red I see at work is is flows out of active funds these days. But uh, I guess that's a story for another time. Now, in in terms of, of model portfolio services or what we call and will refer to as MPS, you're spot on that it's a hot topic. Why? 
MPS looks like it's the right offering at the right time, something that we'll, we'll explore throughout this conversation. But starting with what is MPS? What are these model portfolio services? Well, the form will be familiar to many of our listeners across the globe as the MPS offering is essentially a deconstruction of the traditional fund-to-fund asset allocation product. So instead of clients investing in a single unitized vehicle, clients are investing in the underlying securities. And with with MPS, it's almost always the case that these are funds. If we look at it from the advisor and advisory firm perspective, MPS represents an opportunity to outsource asset allocation and fund selection. In terms of who's offering these, traditionally it's been discretionary fund managers or DFMs in the UK, and they offer these either directly or through a platform. Now, to understand why DFMs are really central to the story, it's important to understand that MPS has sort of evolved out of a more customized client-by-client offering that discretionary fund managers have previously offered and and still do in many cases. The, The evolution with the MPS from the previous, from the other service, the bespoke portfolio modeling, is the MPS, it it still retains the DFM's fund and allocation expertise proposition. But what it trades is it drops some of the client customization because you've switched a client by client to to going to a, a risk-based model or a similar kind of modular set of funds. And by doing so, the price has also been lowered for this service. And then the AUM entry point, which is typically higher for a customized service, can now be quite low. For the DFMs, what MPS is really offering them is an ability to grow their roots within the advice channel because the MPS, by having that lower entry point, can address a far larger swath of an advisor's clientele. Lastly, the the MPS has, has grown, and as it's grown, other providers are jumping in. So even though this was traditionally a DFM space, we've seen fund managers get in on the action. They've, they've realized the competitive dynamics of their fund of funds. The platforms who are seeing a lot of this business go through them have gotten in in the game. And finally, large advisory firms have, have decided in some cases they might actually be able to build their own. So, so starting to become quite a filled out space. Thank you, Ben. So several pieces there, and certainly um, your mention of kind of globalized trends. This is definitely one of those. Um, certainly uh, in North America, funds of funds in Canada, we call them fund wraps, um, have been uh, all the rage. And more recently, model portfolios are coming uh, on strong. So I think a lot of our, our listeners will will agree with uh, with with you mentioning that this is something that that is really a, a more of a global trend. Um, are there some specific things um, that are driving this trend in the UK that you could uh, that you have identified? The growth in MPS is really tied to the intersection of two trends. I mean, we can talk about it a little further, but essentially, I don't think this is contained to the UK. But I'm going to give the UK perspective on sort of what these two trends are and what's really led to a lot of this growth. I mean, the first is an increased focus by regulators on know your client KYC know your product, KYP, and sort of target market concerns, making sure products are ending up with the right clients. And then alongside this, there's also been a reorientation of many advisors' value propositions. 
So starting on the regulatory side, the downstream impact, a lot of this regulation is you see an increase in compliance, particularly if you look at advice firms around issues such as due diligence. And, and this sort of pressure, this need to have sort of a greater due diligence function has also led to more centralization of investment propositions. So the MPS obviously slots in nicely to this idea of more centralized decision making as now a, a dealer or financial advisor firm can sort of deal with a limited number of discretionary fund managers who themselves are vetting funds and building portfolios to match various client risk profiles. This, this is opposed to trying to vet an investable universe where you have funds domiciled in the UK, you have do funds domiciled in Ireland, Luxembourg, and we're talking about thousands of funds that are themselves subject to change. So, so it can sort of narrow the focus and allow a more comprehensive view of sort of a smaller number of investment options. Alongside, as I was saying, this regulatory development and this kind of compliance shift, there's also been a movement among advisors from the idea of advisor as portfolio manager to advisor as planner. And as you well know, Goshka, this, this is one of those trends. It's not necessarily constrained to the UK, but we're certainly seeing it here as well. Now, this, this uh, adjustment in perspective, it's, it's not just an advisor phenomenon, but it's important to realize it's really part of a broader challenge of what and who drives value for clients. This challenge has been driven by a number of factors. You have the robo-advisors who, when they popped up, they were challenging the advice industry on the cost of advice, but they're also challenging many people on the cost of portfolio management. So they really helped increase this conversation. Obviously, the regulators have been involved. All the talk around cost disclosure, all the initiatives, a lot of this is about helping clients understand where they're actually getting value, what service is actually being provided, and what is its worth. And then obviously for, for a lot of time now, we've also had the, the active versus passive conversation, which is also questioning, you know, where's the actual value in investing? Is it in asset allocation? Is it in security selection? And now in the UK, on top of all these factors, I think you can add MPS. And for those kind of curious about MPS and how it's contributing the conversation, well, if we look at the fees for MPS, and they're around 25 basis points, and this can depend on, on whether the funds being selected are active, passive, ESG, blended. But essentially, if you say, okay, MPS fees are around 25 basis points, then in some ways it's saying the value of fund selection and asset allocation is 25 basis points. So it certainly is adding another perspective to, to where's the value and what each component is worth. And then we're, we're likely to see MPS continue to grow as long as this narrative as advisor's planner is what really grows out. And it, the more advisors define themselves by their planning capability, combined with what we're seeing on the regulatory side, the more likely investment decisions are going to be outsourced and influenced either the advisor will outsource it up to head office, and for bigger firms, it'll stay at the head office, or just as likely, it's ultimately going to get outsourced to a third party through a vehicle or a service such as MPS.
So these are, uh, there are so many points, Ben, in there, and uh, we probably would need another podcast to unpack them all. But certainly this um, careful, um, I think, reflection about the value chains in the business, be it, you know, the the what is financial advice and what are its core elements and kind of pressure that robos, uh, regulators, uh, the media have put on what I would call the beta of advice giving, which would be that kind of portfolio selection um, and the, the the strategic asset allocation. I think it's it's really interesting that we're seeing this is yet another, MPS is another example of that kind of, if you will, um, unbundling of the value chain and, and ditto for, for the asset managers. And I, I think that's part of the theme that we are observing again globally. Ben, you're absolutely right. A lot of these thoughts, the, the anchoring of the value narrative for advisors and how can they um, retain some uh, kind of uh, ability to customize but also to to deliver value. I think it's it's really, really important. But asset managers the world over are kind of trying to figure out you know, if it's not productized, how do how what does their value chain look like, and how do they get paid? So I think vast vast impact on the economics of the business. Again, we could spend uh, many many minutes uh, discussing uh, this, but I do want to maybe um, uh, in a lead uh, up question, um, and I'll, uh, then uh, we'll engage Mark um, in this exploration. But maybe you can start us on telling. So of course, if a lot of business is moving towards MPS. And uh, if, if you will, being the FM uh, directed and uh, various uh, competitors are getting in on the action, um, asset managers, platforms, etc. So does that mean that now we have a completely new and different cadre of um, influencers who are helping advisors decide what to buy, what to sell for their clients and what what impact do you think that has on the composition of the wholesaling infrastructure, uh, the distribution teams that asset managers are deploying? This is a great question. Goskin, I think on the first part, it's, it's yes. And, and on the wholesaler part, I mean, this is where, you know, with the, the data sets we have here, which my colleague will sort of get into, this is where we're fielding a lot of inquiries on on sort of how to structure and, and where resources should be. I mean, if we pull it back, though, MPS represents a profound shift, you know, dare I say a paradigm shift for wholesaling. Fund selection is being dislocated from the advisor. And traditionally, wholesaling sales forces have been directed at the advisor. The new dis- decision tree we're looking at could be three layers deep, whether that's could be the DFM, the advisor firm, and the advisor being involved before a client ends up in a specific portfolio. Of those three layers, I, I think the biggest question is is to how to manage that DFM layer. Um, because again, Salesforce have trish, traditionally been oriented towards the other two. Uh, so, so what's going to need to be thought through is the level of, of service and communication required to DFMs, recognizing they're a very different sort of buyer from your traditional advisor. For many firms, they may, in fact, want to, to use any of the learnings they have from institutional sales to direct how they treat DFMs, although it very much may depend on the DFM. I think one other point, you know, I'm not going to go too deep. We have to consider, though, is you're a, if you're a fund manager, if you have your own MPS and you have that fund-to-fund solution, does channel conflict possibly exist? And how can you sort of manage that? manage both trying to get your funds on certain DFM, external DFM programs, 
without necessarily cannibalizing your own sales. So there might there might be some balance that's needed there. Now, I would point out one other thing, and that's for firms that, that don't currently have that established whole, wholesaler network in the UK, MPS might actually be an opportunity, particularly for those smaller boutique fund managers. And, and this is because UK fund distribution is expansive. There are thousands of funds out there in operation, whereas a boutique fund manager may only have the ability to sort of address a certain number of influencers. I mean, if we look at how many DFMs there are and we say there's going to be, let's say there'll be 50 to 100 at one point, I mean, that concentrated decision making might be easier to target for those smaller firms. And the benefit, of course, here being in sort of the MPS program, having your fund brought on board, it's analogous to that of being part of the third party fund to fund programs. A manager can can leverage the UK's firm if, if they're coming from outside trying to make break in or just expanding. They can use sort of the DFM's brand and network and kind of piggyback off that. So I think there's there's an I think you have two sides. You have the very established firms who are likely going to need to reorient and and bring DFM into sort of the, the wholesaling strategy in some cases. And those other firms on the outside, this is a new conduit that might actually be a quite effective way to get into the UK. I mean realistically if if you sum it all up, I think with with there being over 50 DFMs, we looked at there's over 800, well over 800 portfolios. I mean, I think when it comes to wholesaling, you have to understand the competition to make to make waves in this space is going to be fierce. And if you look at the the complete picture, MPS fund to fund, one's going to have to wonder: Can you pursue just one line of distribution, one of those product segments, to sort of get your desired results? I, I think ultimately fund managers, you know, it's going to have to be case by case, but they're they're going to have to use their, their finite sales and marketing budgets, and they're going to have to balance those between distributors and DFMs, the more so as MPS grows. Thank you, Ben. Well, clearly, uh, you know, the, the deep reflection about the structure and composition of the wholesaling infrastructure um uh, is underway again globally and now I think uh, uh, equally so in the UK. So Mark, um, let's pivot to you and now that we have this additional layer of increasingly um, influential influencers, um, what data can we mobilize to help us uh, find out who is actually making the the decisions, um, advisors or MPS providers? What's out there uh, for asset managers in terms of data? Um, nothing really. Well, that's short and sweet. I love that answer. Um, uh, so maybe uh, uh, here, let me invoke my uh, Sherlock uh, Holmes uh, sleuthing lef- reference. Uh, what are you um, and the team at ISS am I doing to close this knowledge gap? Well, we have a lot of data. It's a question of how you organize it. I mean, the starting point really is MPS is obviously mostly through platforms. There are many platforms. The trouble is they provide their data in in different ways. There's little consistency in identification of model business. In fact, it's even difficult to work out what a model is. Is Is it bespoke? Is it on a platform? Is it BPS, MPS? There's lots of acronyms flying around. So really, it's a tricky thing to do. And some platforms do give us some flags, which will tell us that um, a particular piece of business is at least attached to a DFM. 
But even then, we can't be sure that that is DFM influenced, or are they just attached to a DFM for some other business? You see, the other way of looking at it also is you can you can go out there and you can get the um, the models. So a lot of the DFMs will put their models on online. You can you can collect all this data. You can get the model composition. You can see what the popular funds are. But of course, it's very two dimensional. There's no depth without the actual transactions and a, a detailed analysis of the financial advisor's behavior, investment behavior. And to do that, you really need to understand their assets and, and the way they, they trade at a platform and wrapper level. And that's really obviously where financial clarity comes into its own because we've been, we've been collecting this data for, well, for decades, really. And with this depth and granularity, plus the skills and resources we've got within the organization now that the much wider ISS group um, we've been able to, um, to to mine, shall we say, the data and uh, extract the precious metal of behavioural insight. So, so what we can do is we can blend these portfolios, all the, the components, we can blend it with behavioural analysis right down to, uh, say, platform wrapper level. And and then, you know, basically, you um, you have to interrogate it. And that's really where we are at the moment. It's uh, establishing our sleuthing capability, but uh, now trying to work out how best to answer those questions. Well, that's that's really incredible. And clearly, without that um, absolute wealth of, of of the data, you would not be able to, to do it. But it seems to me that it requires great insight and clarity of mind to be able to to kind of glean from from what I would imagine are millions or or, or tens of millions or, or hundreds of millions of observations. So are there, Mark, any kind of initial findings? I know that the work is still underway. You're still uh, working with the team on the models and the algorithms, but any initial insights um, that you have seen? Well, yes, there's a lot of data. That's the first thing. Um, and the trouble is you, you have to work out how to, how to how to correlate all these things. There are thousands of possibilities upon thousands of, um, of firms with, you know, as, as Ben was saying, at least 50, but possibly 250 different, um, different DFMs. However, however, it does, it has started to fall into place a bit. So for example, when you look at the, um, very simple examples. When you look at your typical MPS, regardless of which DFM, most of the DFMs, there are many fund choices that are exactly the same. You know, everyone will choose, or not everyone, but most choose BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity Funds. But there are some obvious ones. And when I started this out, I started thinking, well, look, because of this and because of the weight of these funds, you think, well, everything's roughly the same. But that's not the case. Um, there's more differentiation than I'd expected. Um, an individual MPS does stand out, at least when it comes down to a DFM. You'll find that their fund choices are different enough for one DFM to stand out against another. Um, so, for example, what we've done is we've taken, um, obviously there's a lot of data out there, so we've, we've tried to cut it down to the data that's relevant to an addressable market. And so for that, we've defined it really as, as advi financial advice firms. Uh, in Basically, you have the ability to... Um, to advise, but who don't have the permissions to actually manage, because they could be a DFM if they were doing that. And by drilling it down to these ones, uh, taking out the really big firms where obviously a fund manager really should have a one-to-one -one relationship, all the strategic firms, we're, we're looking at the ones that, you know, the, the average fund manager simply doesn't know whether he should pick up the phone to them or not. This is the question always is like, should I waste my time talking to people who are already, you know, using a DFM? So just looking at that particular lot, we found that actually around about half 
certainly half, seem to be using only one DFM, and the vast majority of the rest may be only two or three. So it is actually quite a unique relationship. Um, also, the key thing you have to understand is that MPS is very much a platform business. It's related to the platform. In the past, people have said, you know, how many platforms does an IFA financial advice firm work with? And they could have loads of platforms, but a lot of that might just be legacy. They've inherited business from, you know, aggregating assets from other IFAs, etc., some of the consolidators maybe. And what's the, what they end up with is, is a mess of different holdings. But what comes through is that when it comes to DFMs, it does seem to be very much per platform. And we know that, that obviously DFMs are favoured on certain platforms, certain fund choices. So that's the fascinating part. We're starting to get there. We haven't yet put some numbers on all of it because obviously we want to double-check and test that we're, we're on the right path. But we, um, we reckon that this cohort of financial advice firms with advice permissions but not management, a significant proportion, in fact, possibly maybe even half the monies, display a model profile, shall we say. That is that either it's a DFM behind it or it's self-selected from a menu of, of rated funds, like funds will be rated by Rainer Spencer Mills or Square Mile, etc. So... Basically, there's a lot of model behavior out there. Whether it's from a given DFM, well, that's the next stage. Mark, that is absolutely fascinating. And I look forward to uh, kind of uh, hearing more as you as you uh, mine those precious metals out of the data set, uh, just even uh, thinking that at least it looks that 50% of the, of the purchasing behavior is aligned to some model and you're right, you're still exploring whether it is a particular DFM or or platform or is it kind of an, a model that advisor is using. But this is absolutely fascinating. Um, now we are out of time. Uh, ben, if you have maybe, if you want to um, uh, get in the last word, 30 seconds, uh, that's all I can give you at this time. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, gosh, guy. I think, I think the last thing is, is with this, with the data Mark talked about, not only are we going to be able to tell the MPS story, but through financial clarity and our SIM fund fund to fund tool, we're also going to be able to follow that journey of how does MPS compare with what's going on in fund of funds and how is this actually playing out for fund managers? Cause as I highlighted, they're very similar products. They offer much of the same thing to advisors and advisor firms. So it's going to be interesting how those two things play out. We kind of look forward to tracking the journey on both. And I think it's just really, really exciting time in the business with such a big change coming about. Uh, well, thank you very much, Ben. And uh, thank you, Mark, uh, for leading our our uh, sleuthing uh, discovery. Um, for me, this dialogue has been about the power of data, but maybe even more importantly about the ability to derive key insights or those precious metals um, uh, out, of, um, uh, out of that uh, to drive improved business outcomes. So I hope that this is a conversation that is uh, uh, the first uh, of many we will have as we refine our models, exploring the impact of MPS. Thank you, uh, Ben and Mark, very much. 
And uh, that is a wrap for us this month. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with our um, regular episodes featuring discussions with thought leaders from the global retail financial services industry. As well, feel free to uh, f- feel free to ping us with ideas about specific topics or industry guests you would like us to feature. Thank you very much.